Lord, thank you so much for the revelation of the new creation. Help us see these, these mysteries by the Spirit. Thank you for opening our eyes to things from heaven. Flesh and blood cannot reveal these things to us, but only the Spirit. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we shared about the, uh, that verse. I'm going to try to stay away if I can. Uh, that verse in 1 Peter, you know, um, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last Sunday, I really want to encourage you to get that CD, um, or if it's on my website, seeinggrace.com. It's the verse in 1 Peter that says judgment begins at the house of God. It's a verse that uh, has been taught wrongly, in my opinion. I may have to turn this off. I can, I can talk louder in the middle, I think. Hey, tell me, if we turn that off, the, will it still record the message? Yeah, let's do that. We'll figure it out next time. Yeah, let's, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. So it's still recording the message? Okay, let's do that. So I'll just kind of like... Um, but that verse, um, judgment begins at the house of God, is a verse that I'm sure you have all heard a message from time to time. And the message has been something like, you know, God is going to clean the church up and get the church ready for his second coming or something like that. Um, judgment begins at the house of God. And the whole message is about sin in the church in the house of God and that judgment is coming because of sin in the house of God. And that's because of that one phrase in 1 Peter, and we talked about that last Sunday, that what Peter is really saying there is just the opposite. He's saying there that the beginning of judgment for the world, the beginning of judgment is the sign that God's children, God's children are being rejected by the world. And so they were going through this fiery trial of persecution, and they wondered, why am I going through this? And Peter was encouraging them and saying, look, this is a sign that the blessing of Christ rests upon you. Rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice in this, for this is the beginning of judgment. And if this is happening to us, the children of God, by this world, what do you think is going to happen to, the one, to those who have not obeyed the gospel, who have not believed? And, you know, and we talked about that. And we looked at Ezekiel chapter 9 because that's where Peter got this phrase. Judgment begins at the house of God. It's from Ezekiel chapter 9 where when at a time in Israel's history, judgment came upon Israel. And the Lord said, go and first mark all those who belong to me so that they will not be touched by the wrath that's coming. Mark those who belong to me and begin at my house. That's where Peter got that phrase. So the beginning of judgment is the marking of God's people or the separating of God's people from the wrath that's coming. And you see that in Noah, where the beginning of judgment was the beginning of the building of the ark. That was the beginning of judgment. And when they went into the ark and the door was shut, that's the beginning of judgment. But God's people were separated. Or in Sodom and Gomorrah, it was Lot and his family being taken out out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was the beginning of judgment was when the angels appeared to get them out. So they were, you see what I'm saying? Anyway, so if you, if you weren't here last Sunday, really encourage you to look at that and, um, and just be encouraged. You see how one phrase can be mistaught 
And it's actually saying just the opposite. Peter's writing that to encourage the saints in their, in their persecution so they would understand that, um, that this is not, number one, judgment coming from God on them, this persecution, but it's actually a sign that judgment is coming on the world. Um, be encouraged. Trust your life to a faithful creator who will do what is right and so forth. So anyway, but in the process of, of talking about that last Sunday, I shared some thoughts, and it went pretty fast, I think, on this whole thing about dying daily, or that we've already died, but uh, there's phrases in the scripture that talk about dying daily, or taking up our cross and following Jesus, and then, but yet Paul says we're already dead, and those things, and I want to just share some thoughts about that um, briefly, so we can clearly see some of these things, because it is so cool to see clearly um, what the scripture teaches about death and resurrection. Um, remember Jesus said that he which is born of the flesh is flesh. But he which is born of the spirit, he, was, he who is born of the spirit is spirit. The first thought I want to share with you is that um, keep in mind, saints, that, that the, the work of Christ, when he came to die on the tree for us, for the whole human race, he tasted death for every man, the scripture says. From the beginning of time to the end of time, the scripture says. Keep in mind, this is the end. This was the end of the Adamic race. Okay. That's why he's referred to as the last Adam. Because he's the beginning of a whole new race. Now, keep that in mind. That this, this is the complete blotting out of all flesh, just as in Noah's flood. In fact, Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering Messiah. He was bruised for our iniquities. And then the very next chapter, chapter 54 the Lord is continuing, this, continuing the thought, and he says, this is like the waters of Noah to me. You know, the, tell them their, their uh, sin has been dealt with double, double. Encourage them. They, they can't sin enough in one lifetime to sin enough beyond this atonement. This is done. This is done. Done. See? So you can't, you can't sin enough in your own lifetime to, to sin more than what the blood of Christ did. That's what Isaiah is saying. And he's saying also, this is like the waters of Noah to me when I blotted out all flesh. This is huge. This is huge. That's why when Jesus, Jesus went to the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. You could have said those same words when God shut the door of the ark. And the water began to fall and the, the, the vapor that was a canopy above the earth began to condense. And the waters began to break up from below. You could have said those same words. Now is the judgment of this world. That's what happened on the cross. Okay. The end of the Adamic race happened on the cross. Then something awesome happened in the resurrection. And the reason why the burial is, part, is big, a big part of the, of the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. Burial is important because God wants us to never, uh, God doesn't want us to relate to him anymore after the flesh. He buried it. He doesn't want us to uh, relate to him anymore as, ones, as sons of Adam. He buried it. But the resurrection speaks of a new creation. When Christ was raised from the dead, the scripture says, the Lord says, This day have I begotten thee. Shall a nation be born in a day? That which we thought was referring to Israel when they, were, they went through the sea and were born in a day, a nation was born in a day, was a picture a picture of the real birth 
For Christ is the true Israel who went down into death, the Red Sea, and came up. We were born in a day, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, born in a day in him. See, so when he was raised from the dead, every his whole body was raised in him potentially and experientially in time and space as the generations rolled through time and they heard and they believed. Because when you believe, you receive the spirit of God and you are baptized or immersed into the history of Jesus Christ. You died with him. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. It's a great mystery, but it has to do with time and eternity. The play, the play between eternity and time. He offered, him up by the, he offered himself up by the eternal spirit. So when you step into the spirit and the spirit steps into you because you, you have heard the gospel and you believe, you actually have been joined to the Christ and his history becomes your history. That's why you can say, I was crucified with Christ. Isn't that awesome? Okay, now, this is so cool. Romans 5 says, consider yourself as Christ died once. Consider yourself as having died once. But now, even as Christ is ever alive unto God, we too consider ourselves ever alive unto God. We, as it pertains to sin and the flesh, we do not die often. We do not die daily. This is the, the big point to understand. As it pertains to sin and the flesh, you do not die daily. The scripture says, even as Christ died once and is ever alive and was raised and is ever alive unto God, so consider yourself as having died once and now ever alive unto God. Therefore, now present yourself to God as one who is alive from the dead. Yeah. Romans 5. Okay. That means, saints, that the answer to flesh and the sin problem is not dying, it's living. You see it? The power, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 is what puts to death the deeds of the body. You see it? So this... This, uh, this, this is why this is so important, because you can have this mixture, this confusion of what dying daily is all about and put believers under a death uh, uh, kind of uh, thinking, uh, a self-mortification kind of thinking, which is religious. And it is not the spiritual life of Christ. The spirit of life puts to death the deeds of the body. First John said this. First John says, if you see a brother in a sin, trapped in a sin, Pray that God would give him what? Life. See? Pray. See, the answer to sin is the spirit of life. Romans says this. If we are reconciled by his death, we shall be saved by his life. See? So the focus is life for the believer in Christ. This new creation, this new race. Now, what God did in Colossians... The scripture says he cut away the body of the flesh in this spiritual circumcision and raised us from the dead. Romans says, Romans 4 says that, um, I'm not turning to it today because I'm doing this fast, but I'm trying to give the site so you can look at it later. But Romans says he raises the dead and he calls into being that which did not exist before. That's what happened when you believed on Jesus. 
He actually raised us from the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He raised us from the dead on the inside and called into being that which did not exist before, a new creation, a new species, the Greek says. Not a refurbished man, but a whole new man, a whole new species, a new creation. Okay, so when God cut away the body of the flesh, Colossians says, he cut away the body of the flesh. The great mystery of this work is that he was able to leave the power of sin in the body, the mortal body, in our members, the power or the mystery of iniquity that's in the DNA, that's of this creation, that's in the blood that we inherited from Adam and Eve is actually in the body. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit's alive because of righteousness. The body is decaying day by day, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. It's a dichotomy of a, of a, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God, not of ourselves. Okay. The old man, the definition of old man is when we were of the Adamic race with no life, no spirit of life in us, we were of this creation and we were in our sins and in the flesh joined, that's who we were, born from below our father being Adam, and now not God our father because we, we failed, we, fought, we, we were part of the fall because of Adam. And so, and, and, um, in fact, the Lord says that our father was a devil so, because he caused the fall. So here we are in, in Adam as the old man. Now, the old man was crucified with Christ, this old Adamic race. When God raised us from the dead, when he raised us from the dead, we were in our trespasses and sins. Um, I love what Clark said this morning about you can be a, um, when you're a saint, we sin at times as saints, but that doesn't make you a sinner. You know, like uh, Kathleen, we're talking, talking about before the class today, you can lie as a believer, but that doesn't make you a liar. You can steal as a believer, but that doesn't make you a thief. Now, if you're not a believer, what you do, that's what you are. But when God raises you up from the dead, that's not re really who you are. When we, you and I act inconsistent to the new nature. The scripture says we've been made a partaker of the divine nature now in Christ. We do not have two fathers. We do not have two natures. We do not have two natures. That's a very... That's huge in the church, a wrong teaching in the church today, that you still have your old nature and you have your new nature. If you still have your old nature, you still have your old father. Nature refers to origin. You don't have two fathers. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is not flesh and spirit, Jesus said, but is spirit. You are no longer from below, but from above. See, clear cut. You're not from both places, either there or there, either Father or not your father. He who has the son has the father. He who has not the son has not the father. See? So it's not a matter of nature. It's the mystery of iniquity that God quarantined in this body. He actually translated us from this realm of this creation, Hebrew says, into the kingdom of, of the beloved son in this great mystery of the spirit touching our spirit. Because of the work of Christ and your faith, you actually have moved through a door. And the door is Christ. I am the door. 
Jesus said. So you actually pass through to the door, through the door to where he is now. That's why Paul says we are seated with him now in heaven places. Okay. So now within here, your sin is as far away from you as the east is from the west, just like the scripture promises, because you are in a different dimension. It doesn't touch you. It can't touch you. And so you actually have been translated. So this body will perish and will not inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the real you will inherit the kingdom of God. And the real you will put on immortality or put on the, the shell, the body, the immortal body to clothe the inner you when you pass over, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. All right. So, all right. Isn't this cool? Yeah. Okay, so, so what happens is, now because you've actually been translated to another realm, you're not under law anymore. Because law is of this earth. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under it. And, and you actually left this earth. The law has no power over the one who dies. You've left it. You've left this realm. You're no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but in the kingdom of the beloved Son. There is no law in the kingdom of the Son. There is no law. Law is for men, for fallen men. There's only life. There's only life. This is life. So, all right, so, so now in, in, in Christ now, you're no longer under the law. So as a believer, that's why Paul says, even though we sin at times as a believer, we're not a transgressor. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. So you can sin as a believer and not be a transgressor, which is why Paul says in Galatians, if I sin... As a believer, is Christ the minister of sin? Did he make me do this? No, he says, that's just my flesh. But I do not go back under that law and make myself a transgressor. You see it? So we're, we're totally free from condemnation. Totally free. I mean, the liberty is amazing. And it's, you've got to see this for the power of the life in, in us to be energized. For the Spirit, Jesus said... The Spirit of God is actually comes forth like a mighty river. He, out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water, living water, because of faith. He who believes on me, not works, not obedience to commandments, but a revelation of this truth in Christ, and you trust and you believe, you can stir up the gift within you, the Scripture says, by simply remembering the truth. Isn't that awesome? You and I can simply shut out this world and shut out the voices and shut out even our own voices and remember. And that's what the body of Christ is all about, is to remind each other of the truth. Speaking the truth to one another in love. Encouraging each other. Seeing each other after the Spirit. Reminding each other of the truth. Remembrance is powerful. It's powerful. That's what the covenant meal is all about. Do this in remembrance of me. It's all about remembrance. Paul says, I, I, or Peter says, I stir up your minds by way, by, by way of remembrance. He goes, I'm about to leave. I, the Lord has shown me I'm, I'm about to leave the earth. My time has come. And I stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Remembrance is powerful. We should remind each other of the truth and encourage each other. Because that's, that's it. That's the power of the, so that our faith is, is, is encouraged our, um, and grows and is strengthened. So that the spirit of life can flow greater and greater rivers of living water. This thing is so powerful 
as we abide, simply abide, the life, the life, the flesh is no match for the resurrection life. No match. That's what the resurrection says. The flesh, the, the body was raised from the dead. We, that's why Paul says the same power that raised Christ from the dead and raised him through all levels and principalities and set him above all things. That same spirit is in you. The life is in us. And it quickens the mortal body. It short changes or short circuits rather. short circuits the power of sin in our members. Paul says in Romans 7 that he tried to short circuit the power of sin in his members through knowledge of right and wrong, through willpower, and through emotion, because that's the mind, will, and the emotion. He tried to, by the mind, say, I, I know what's right. I, I, I delight in what's right. Um, I, have, I will to do it. I want to do it. Um, I hate sin. That's the emotion. I hate it. I hate sin. He tried to do it. And he said, but I found there was another principle working in my body that always brought me into captivity. And those things were not enough. And the power of sin in my body always brought me captive. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes into Romans 8. Thanks be to God. Jesus himself has shown me the, a new law in him, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. And the life, and then in Romans 8, he, he, he shows how you, the new life thinks, the, 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 the new life, uh, it is, the mind is set on things of the spirit, as opposed to the mind being set on things of the flesh. Romans 8 talks about that. And that's part of that remembrance of the truth. So we have the old man. Now the old man ceased to exist the moment, the moment you and I were raised from the dead in the spirit and joined to Christ. Why? Because the old man only exists if it's connected to the flesh. That is the old man. That's the definition. So when God raised you and I from the flesh and we're no longer in the flesh, Romans 7 and 8 says, but in the spirit, the old man cannot exist. He really did, he really did die. I mean, you really can rest that it doesn't exist anymore. The old you is gone. It's impossible to exist. Now, see, isn't this cool? Like, just, just let that absorb, absorb that. It's impossible for the old you to exist anymore. It's possible. It's impossible. Now, what does remain, what does remain is the power of sin in the mortal body. And when we find ourselves walking after the flesh, we, we, Paul refers, that to, refers to that as the deeds of the old man. Not the old man. Because he's very clear in Colossians, no, you're not. You've already died. The old man has died, and you're a new man in him. But you, will, you can still commit the deeds of the old man if we walk after the flesh. You see the distinction? That's why what Clark said is, is absolutely correct. You can be uh, doing the deeds of the old man, but not be the old man. You're a saint. I'm a saint, but sometimes I still stumble and sin, but that doesn't make me a sinner. It's exactly correct. Isn't that awesome? This, re this is, religion cannot touch this. This is what Paul meant in the Corinthian letter when he said, God has made the wisdom of this world vanity, void. Since the world through its own wisdom did not come to know God, then God said, I'm going to change everything so that unless they see what I've done in Christ, they'll never get it. Isn't that cool? What's, what's the wisdom that changed everything? Christ. 
is the wisdom and the power of God. In other words, to terminate the whole human race on a tree in Jerusalem and raise up a new people in this Christ so that all who would believe in time and space would be joined to the spirit of life, the very presence of God, raising them up, creating them new, and causing them to go through a door to live now on earth in these bodies, but not of the earth anymore. A whole holy nation, a royal priesthood of every nation and tongue and tribe and every generation who hears and believes. Isn't that awesome? So, it just, you know, it's just... And the, and, the, and the cross, the daily dying comes in, as we said last Sunday, the day, daily dying is not a reference to the flesh. The daily dying is a reference to the new creation. It's the new man that gets rejected by this world. The daily dying is a reference to rejection. Paul says, I bear in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That's the rejection. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was resisted by this world. I bear in my body the marks of the dying of the Lord. I fill up the, the, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, he says. He's talking about we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. The rejection that Christ felt. The cross is all about rejection. Rejection unto death. See? So the cross is all about rejection unto death. It's the ultimate rejection. You know, to reject Christ, that's what the cross is all about. And so, and now in Christ, we have the ultimate acceptance in God. But now the new, the new creation is the one that gets the cross, the rejection. The, 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 uh, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't even talking about sin or flesh. He's talking about, here's Christ, perfect, sinless, and he gets a cross. Did that cross of rejection that he says, take up the cross that I'm going to get, did that cross of rejection to Christ have anything to do with sin in his life? Of course not. So the sin of rejection, I mean, the, the cross of rejection that he had, he says, unless you're willing to be rejected by this world too, you can't follow me. And that just makes sense. Because some people would not believe because they sought the praise of men more than the praise of God. Some didn't believe because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue, see? And so basically, they refused the cross of rejection and therefore could not be his disciple. That's all that is. And now that you have believed, you too will receive the cross of rejection from this world. And he says, take it up. Don't give it back. Don't render evil for evil. Don't give them a cross of rejection. That's what he means by taking it up. In other words, don't give it back to them. You reject me, I'll reject you. No. He says, no. God... Trust yourself. That's what Peter was talking about. Trust yourself to a faithful creator. Commit your life unto him who will do what is right. It's a sign that the blessing of Christ rests upon you. God will work through it. He worked through Stephen's rejection as they were stoning him. He didn't say, God will judge you. He said, oh God, lay not this on their charge. Just like Christ from the cross. He took up the cross of rejection from this world and prayed for them. His face shone like an angel. And Paul was there holding the garments of the Pharisees watching all this. Who, Saul, rather, Saul, before his conversion, was holding the garments of the, of the Pharisees, a picture of self-righteousness. He was holding their self-righteousness watching Stephen, the very first martyr of the church, the very first one who ended the 77s of Daniel, which we'll talk about. That was the end of the 77s of Daniel. Right after that, the gospel went to the Gentiles, went all around the world. And here's Paul holding the garments of the self-righteous Pharisee 
And God planted a seed in Paul in the midst of that. He said, I've never seen a man die like this. See, God used it because Stephen didn't give him a cross back. And God used it. He stood up and said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He's quoting Daniel. And they knew what that meant. And they put their hands on their ears and rushed to him and killed him. But see, in the midst of your rejection, as you, as a new, li- a new creation, a new life, rejected by this world, strengthened in your inner man by the love of Christ, so you don't give rejection back when you get rejection, God will use that. It's a miracle. It, reve- it, it softens the heart of the ones who are rejecting you. They can't bear it. They either go nuts or they're broken. It's God's way. Isn't that cool? Ah, God is so good. It's, it's so clear. We have passed from death and into life. A new race, a new creation. Cool. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us see author of salvation. So wise. Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, Father. Not ashamed to call us your children. Not ashamed to call us your sons and daughters. Fear not. Abba. Abba. We trust our lives to you, Lord. This world doesn't know us because they don't know you. They know not what they do. Like this, that scene in Ben-Hur, Lord, where he saw Christ on the cross and he said, and he, I felt him take the sword out of my hand. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Powerful life, powerful life. Heaven's life. Heaven's life that gives itself away. A sacrificial life. No greater love, a divine life, divine life. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen.